Hi, and welcome back to Shout Scratch. You're listening to episode 73. How much power do medical students have? This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where medical students, junior doctors and expert guests come together and discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor, without you might not get to a medical school. I'm Pat, and I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ, and I'm also a medical student at Anglia Ruskin University. And this is quite a special episode for us because it's the first time that we're recording at the BMA house since COVID. And I'm very happy to be joined by our friends Nikki and Coyote. Um, Nikki, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, uh, yeah, so exciting to be in the studio in real life for the first time ever. Um, my name's Nikki, I'm a fourth year medical student at the University of Manchester, and I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's so great to be joined by you. And Coyote, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Coyote, I am a final year medical student at the University of Dundee. I am not in sunny Dundee today, but I am in sunny London, which is exciting because I think I brought the sunshine with me. Um, <laughs> I hope it's still sunny in Dundee, though. I hope I haven't stolen the sun away from them. Maybe you'll find out when you go back later today. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, thank you for joining us today. And um, I'm also very happy to be joined by our expert guest today, Dr. Rita Ether. Rita, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi everyone. Um, I'm Rita. I am a part-time GP and a part-time researcher and my research is about climate change, migration and health. And I've also recently come to terms with the fact that I'm also an activist. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. The traditional medical student may be someone who's primarily concerned with their own academic studies and specific goals for their future. But as we progress through medical school, we're becoming dissatisfied by the lack of attention to socially relevant healthcare issues in the conventional curriculum, and also begin to understand that some of the frustrations that we, we encounter at work arise from political decisions. And these have prompted some medical students to voice their concerns and advocate for change, especially as demonstrated by recent social movements. Um, and I thought in this episode, we can talk a little bit about medical activism, how to get started and what you can do to push for change. Um, I guess to start this conversation, um, Nikki and Karode, uh, have you ever been involved uh, with um, medical activism inside or outside of medical school? Well, I guess my main experience of any involvement probably starts with my year last year at the BMJ and sort of my understanding about social determinants of health and how these impact kind of medicine from it, like the bird's eye view that... I guess from a journalistic point of view you kind of look at it from mm. um, and Cody and I were speaking earlier actually about how I guess medical activism and sort of medical politics probably has two main stems so sort of the sort of social determinants of health and like politics for example for us within the UK and how that impacts sort of healthcare funding and how the NHS works and um, sort of like Rita's research like things like climate and things and how that affects and impacts people's health mm-hmm. but then there's also activism within our medical communities to say things like the BMA and the council elections and things which I'm sure <laughs> leads us on to KOD. Um Yeah so in terms of activism um, like Rita I would say I've never really thought of myself as an activist I feel like I'm just a human being who's existing in a somewhat violent world and um, you know I've just sort of adopted a if I don't say anything then people say they didn't know and I just don't like people being able to say oh I didn't realize this I I don't want anyone to have any plausible deniability so I just (laughs) so I so I just talk and keep on talking so no one can say oh no I didn't know I didn't realize and 
I guess some people view that as activism, but I just, I just always, I, I find myself as someone who's just existing and trying to survive. <laughs> yeah, by speaking out about issues that you care about. Yeah. Guess, and that people don't necessarily talk about, but important to highlight. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But I, I'm, I'm just, I'm high. I think a lot of the things I do and say is primarily based on my own personal experience. Um, I'm not cool enough to do research or anything. I have like read, um, I've, I've read widely and the joy of reading is being able to like, you know, marry what you've read to to your own experiences and like, okay, right, that makes sense. This mm. this is This explains what I've been experiencing and I will share that with other people. But yeah, it's like, I, I don't know. The term activist is a weird one mm. and it's not... Yeah. Well, maybe I'll just jump in there Mm. to say that I've got actually a really broad definition of what makes an activist. Mm. And to me, it's essentially there's like two ingredients. One is that you need to feel that there's an injustice of some sort, that your boundaries have been crossed or that something that's happening doesn't really align with your values or the way that you think the world should be. Mm. And then the second part of it is just feeling able to do something about it. And that something could be a whole wide range of activities and it can be everything from going onto a podcast or writing an article about it or speaking to people about it, like you just said, or taking lots and lots of other different forms of action. And I think that Mm. if we go with that really broad definition of what what an activist is, then actually many of us throughout our medical careers at some point will be activists because Mm. part of our role is to try and rebalance, I think, some of... Um, the injustice or the inequity that that we're witnessing wider in society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, you were saying that you do call of activists, uh, activism um, things as part of your role. And I know you've done things like um, Docs Not Cops and also um, Doctors for Exile. Mm-hmm. How did you get started? And um, yeah, what made you just start doing these kind of activism? Yeah, so I guess maybe like the way that I first um, got involved in that sort of world at all was I was a med student. Um, back in the early 2010s mm-hmm. and it was when um, the, the the government was bringing in a rise in tuition fees so we were going from £3,000 a year to up to £9,000 mm-hmm. and we were all students at the time and I'm sorry that yeah. we failed you. <laughs> you didn't fail us. We tried. Don't make me start naming political yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we... Um, It really felt very unjust and I think also a lot of students at that time had um, voted for the Lib Dems on the promise Mm. that they weren't going to raise fees and then they came in as a coalition government Mm. and then sort of turned turned around on that promise and it felt like our sort of, you know, democratic promises had been broken and lots of different universities around the country went into occupation and I was at UCL and UCL Mm. was the first to go into occupation and it was my first experience of anything like that at all like I'd never even imagined that stuff like that could happen Mm -hmm. but we had um six weeks of occupation there was lots of different lectures razor light came and performed (laughs) it was really fun and I felt like I learned more in that six weeks than I'd learned in a lot of my other studies Mm -hmm. and I guess that connected me in with a community of people who also felt like they wanted to make a change um in the world And then a few years later, I was working with MSF in Lebanon and 
there's this like one case that really sticks with me which is of a young um, very very young premature baby who was brought to our clinic mm. and we couldn't manage her in this primary healthcare center it was just too complex for us so um tried to take her to the local hospital and they barred us entry because she was a refugee mm. and um I did what I think most people have done in that situation, which was just like force my way yeah. in. And, you know, she was in my arms, like, what can I do? Found the nearest doctor. We started, um, you know, she really rapidly deteriorated. Um, and despite our best efforts, um, the baby didn't survive. And that made me realize the extent to which where you're born and the situation that you're born into mm -hmm. and the health system that you're born into dictates your outcomes and your chance at life. And that felt really unjust and really unfair to me. And then coming back to the UK and realizing that this wasn't just an issue that was happening overseas. Mm -hmm. In the UK, we also had the hostile environment, which was making it incredibly difficult for migrants to be able to access mm -hmm. healthcare, um, both because of a fear of accessing healthcare, but also because of um, charging and data sharing. Mm -hmm. And so then at that point, I got involved with this group called Docs Not Cops, which was a grassroots movement of doctors and other mm -hmm. healthcare workers saying, we won't be border guards mm -hmm. um, within the NHS. We need to take action against this. And that took many different forms, including non-compliance within the workplace. So not reporting someone when mm -hmm. you think that they might be a migrant to uh, awareness raising and education amongst other healthcare professionals. So that was, I guess, part of that journey. And then in more recent years, I guess that's turned a bit more towards climate change. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like um, once you start activism, you it's kind of like a snowball. You just keep rolling and rolling and you just kind of find, you start to find out more issues that could potentially affect um, like the healthcare system. Yeah, for sure. But I, I think it's less like a spiral and maybe more like waves. Because <laughs> what I was going to say is, um, I think, a lot of people use this term as now a pejorative, but like it's an awakening. It's being woke, but, then, <laughs> but that, that that but that is what being woke comes from. It's sort of once you, once you've become awake and you're aware of like one thing, you just sort of I guess apply that same logic to everything, mm. and you just you just think, oh my god, how is all of this happening? Like once you notice one thing, you just begin to notice yeah. all the injustices mm. in the world, and sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming. Mm. Um, so you have to like you know protect yourself, but like once you notice it, you can't, you, ju you just can't, you, you can't stop, and mm. you just see how everything affects everything, and how most things in life are very much a political choice yeah. by mm. the powers that be, rather than oh that's unfortunate that that happened. Somebody has control and power over yeah. these decisions so it's about like challenging the powers that be like why have you made a, a decision in this way why is it in this way why can't it be better definitely and i think you're right in saying that it can feel quite overwhelming as well once you start to notice things like i know there's been numerous occasions over the past few years where the news has felt too much to watch and then you mm. sometimes think god how much privilege does that come from that you feel as though there's too much and you, you, it feels overwhelming to listen to that mm. um, and also it can feel like you like how could I as one small person make any difference in so much that's wrong with the world mm. for sure and I think that that's why those two ingredients are really important because the first part is recognising that there's mm -hmm. stuff that's wrong and then the second part 
is sort of knowing what you might be able to do mm -hmm. about it. And I think when it's just the first part, it can feel incredibly yeah. overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And then you get things like, you know, climate anxiety. And like, I, I think it can almost push you into a sense of um, uh, like being frozen with yeah. just like the weight of how, ter how terrible <laughs> everything is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it's just like finding what works for you to feel like you're having some like, um, you know, ha having your small part to play yeah. mm. within that. And I think it can range from everything. Like, I guess um, probably all of you at some point will have to do audits as part of both medical school <laughs> and also um, once you become junior doctors. And that audit process is, is exactly the same. It's like working out something that's wrong and then trying to find a method to like improve that situation in some way. I wouldn't necessarily say that doing an audit is activism, but it's like part of the trajectory. Yeah. <laughs> I guess in some ways so, it can be. It could be. be. It, could be. Yeah. it depends on how and why you're doing it. Like, I feel and like, what comes from it. Yeah, like if you choose to do your audits on a very, very specific thing, then it's sort of like your own version of activism. Like I'm very stubborn, so like a lot of my uni assignments, like I do them, um, if, if I'm allowed to choose a topic, I'll choose a very, very specific topic. Um, like for example, I'm thinking about in my last degree, so I did, my last degree was in global health and I, for one module, like the big piece, I did it on the scramble for Africa um, mm. specifically because I had, I was given some sort of a choice and everyone else was doing like something on, something else I was like no I'm going to do it on colonialism and how the scramble for Africa in the 1800s still has an impact today and how it relates directly to the Nigerian civil war and how it has an impact on me yes. personally because my mother was born during that time mm. and you know malnourishment and epigenetic changes and that sort of thing so I was like ha huh. <laughs> I know this wasn't technically what I was meant to write about, but you can't fail me for it. I still wrote it. Ha -ha. Um, and yeah, I, I did well for that essay, thankfully. Um, but but I like to do um, slightly subversive things every so often when I can do it. To be like, okay, I know this isn't technically in the rules, but I'm going to choose my topic specifically about this very specific issue. Mm -hmm. that in a way and do it in a way that you can't ignore it like I don't know well I know it probably hasn't made that much of a difference to um, politics in Nigeria and wider <laughs> international politics but it's just sort of like I, I just say like I'm a baby boy trying to survive in a very violent world mm -hmm. so I don't want anyone to say I didn't know so I'm telling you now so the marker of that essay now knows yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's really something in that which is often when we think about activists we think it's like loud mm. you know sitting in the road being arrested and I don't think that activism is only that it mm. you know that's part of it but it's one small part and I think we need action across the whole range of the different players within the system and using using lot using lots of different methodologies and so there's this distinction between what's known as like insider or outsider activism and insider activism is working to change institutions from within mm -hmm. so for example um you know voting for various policies through the bma or changing things within your med school or writing really impactful essays um that is all really important and it goes alongside outsider activism which i guess is potentially you know the slightly more 
louder or oppositional um, forms that can be taken. But there's been some really good examples in history which have needed both insider and outsider activism to function. So one example is the suffragettes and the suffragists. And the suffragettes were probably the ones that you've heard of, you know, smashing windows, jumping in front of horses. But at the same time, there was the suffragists who were working um, more collaboratively with politicians to bring about that change. And it required both that like soft power and oppositional power working in tandem to bring that movement shift along. So I think all of it is really valid and really important. Yeah, because I was going to to ask you, because um, I mean, the, the activism that we see kind of on social media is kind of going on protests or um, like sitting outside the government, etc. Yeah, and, and I mean, you already pointed out what other activism things that you can do. You don't have to actively, you know, like the only thing not um yeah the only thing to voice your concerns about it is not just like walking on the streets and protesting and um yeah and do you think um like your interest in campaigning and activism has changed how you practice medicine for sure so like nikki mentioned earlier on the social determinants of health is like an incredibly important um framework through which to understand why people are ill and why they also don't get better necessarily and I think it's important for us to expand out the social determinants of health framework Mm. to also include things like the environmental and the political determinants of health and also the historical and colonial uh, determinants of health as well and once we begin to practice with that wider framework the question then becomes where does our duty as people whose role it is to safeguard health where does that duty extend to So, for example, I work in Tower Hamlets. I work in an area with really high deprivation. And um, often I'll see patients who come in and they've got terrible asthma. But when you dig into it, they live on a really busy main road or they live in um, terrible housing that's incredibly damp. Mm. And I could see my role as a doctor to give them an asthma pump and send them on their way, which, um, you know, I I will give them an asthma pump if they need it. But I'm sending them back to the conditions Mm. that have made them ill. I'm not really getting down to the root um, cause of the problem. Mm. And so I think that there is a role for uh, health professionals. It doesn't have to be all health professionals, but it needs to be a a significant section of health professionals to think about how can we um, make people better by impacting those more upstream determinants of health. And so that means working, I guess, collaboratively and across lots of different... um, Uh, like structures and specialisms so how do we work with town planners and the council Mm. and um politicians and you know where food is grown and like how you know how do we take this really really holistic approach to healthcare and just to say i work at the bromley bio center which is um a gp practice that's quite well known for this and it's the first place to have started social prescribing so Mm. along with prescribing somebody an asthma pump i can also uh, prescribe for them to chat to our housing advisor um, mm. to see if we can help them improve their housing as well at the same time. Mm. Yeah, um, I think our curriculum is definitely like changing to adopt like a more holistic view of med- yeah. med- practicing medicine rather than. Yeah, I think we are encouraged now to kind of at least look at patients as a whole human being and like consider their other lifestyle factors rather than just sort of like a list of symptoms or like mm. presenting complaint that's come in through the door today which I think is a step in the right direction at least yeah so 
uh, yeah, we've been talking about um, getting involved in um, activism and things that you can do. So I spoke with a medical student who's called um, Amit Singh, and he's from the University of East Anglia. And he's a climate activist, and he reflected on his experience so far um, from being involved in activism. So I got into activism because while I was at UEA in my first year of medical school, there was a conference being held by Students for Global Health, and I thought I can just roll out, roll out of bed and check out the conference, you know. Um, it was on climate change and health, and when I went there, just a ton of people that, that really resonated with my values, um, and they were talking about different forms of actions, different ways of, you know, movement building and so on and so forth, as well as most importantly, of course, why it's so valuable to have the healthcare workers joining the activism field uh, and the role that health, uh, the health community can play in making that change. Um, and that was quite exciting and, and you know, really engaged me quite a lot there. And, and there were a few challenges, you know, firstly, time was a big factor. It's really hard for a lot of healthcare workers, you know, medicine students and so on and so forth to, to spare that much time for activism, especially considering how much time it takes up mentally because it is a really draining thought process sometimes. Um, the way I learned to really get around that was was actually to be around people who create a regenerative space, a space where you actually gain energy and gain joy from the work that you're doing and see a hopeful future that you're working towards rather than just, you know, focusing on the doom and the gloom and so on and so forth. Um, so I thought that was a really, really big and important factor for me, just being around the right people. And and the way to do that really for me was just joining SFGH, Students for Global Health, um, and just talking about these issues. I realised that talking about it means you realise that actually a lot of people around you have similar values to you and, and care about them in the same way um, and can see these futuristic ideas that you're, you're working towards as well. Um, and definitely get involved with the healthcare community but don't limit yourself you know you can learn about healthcare through other communities as well you know we, we know the structure of healthcare but the the concept of health is you know a, a part of everyone and they can all teach you about that so, so definitely get involved there um a particular campaign that i'm working with and and i would heavily support getting involved with is health for a green new deal which is being led by medact um so just search that up online, look up on Twitter, and I'm sure you'll find it. And, and I would really, really recommend checking that one out because it's a really inclusive space. And we want to make sure to just empower the healthcare community to work towards um, basically pushing for a Green New Deal and a just transition for all. I guess my first thoughts was... Um... You made some, like Amit made some comments about, you know, joining Students for Global Health and stuff like MedAct. And I just sort of like um, reflected on that and comparing it to um, what Rita said about the different forms of activism and just like thinking, actually, you don't always necessarily need to join all these different groups in order to partake in the work. Mm -hmm. So... Like, it's okay to, I guess, amplify other voices of, of things that other people are doing. And um, I guess just sort of thinking about what I personally do is I think I probably do a lot of amplifying work. Like, I wouldn't say I'm, I would be, I'm a person who's there creating posters and hand, handing out leaflets, attending COP26 or anything like that. And... 
that's intentional for my own safety. I'm a black man. Um, I don't like. I'm probably more likely to be arrested or get any uh, and get any um, what's called negative consequences for being, I guess, more oppositional. Um, so that that's something that's always playing in the back of my mind. So just like listening to that and marrying it up with what Rita said, I was like, okay that's a really important thing that's happening like all what the work that all these different groups are doing but then um people who do not feel safe enough to partake in those things what can we do that was like okay actually what do i currently do and what can i be doing more of because i don't like i'm aware of docs not cops i'm aware of medax um i i i a couple of my friends went to cop 26 but i actively didn't go because if anyone's going to get arrested it's probably going to be me um so um i guess amplifying other people's work is i don't want to say it's just as important but it's a very very important role to play and i really liked what you said earlier what rita said earlier about um i guess all different forms of activism have to work together yeah in order for um change to happen so it's all well and good um the protests happening but if there's no one there to support the protests then it doesn't really have as big of an impact as it could have so i think yeah it's important to i guess support the people who are i guess risking a lot yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. out there for sure like just to say that um yeah, for my first five to eight years of activism or something, my main role was like um, helping to organize people, um, helping to like write press releases and like write up the social media stuff and like getting the word out there. And so like I wasn't, I, I was really shy. I really hated like disrupting people and disrupting their day. Mm. And so I would find it really embarrassing to like, even just like give somebody a flyer was like too much for me. <laughs> but I found like my role within that space at that time, which was to do all the like additional support work because if nobody is like documenting it and putting the message out there, then it's, you know, it's almost like it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So it's like as important for that role, for, for somebody to step into that role. Um, I guess maybe as I've got older and felt more established in my career and more established in my position as a doctor and then I guess like now I've also qualified as a GP I have started doing more front-facing media mm. stuff and I think that that's also partly I mean there was a time where I felt like nobody was really stepping forward to do it and I'd be trying to write these press releases and find like comments or people willing to be spokes spokes people and at the time it was really difficult to find folks for that and eventually I was just like fine I'll I'll do it <laughs> Yeah, we'll discuss a little bit more about medical activism, but that'll be right after this message from our sponsor. Indemnity. You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with medical protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective, no matter how far from home you end up. 
In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, every week one lucky new joiner wins £183. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more. I think the thing that we need to remember as doctors and medical students is that we hold a lot of privilege in society and we are really respected. And um, this has been tested time and time again. And I think nurses come up actually like most respected professionals and then like doctors not very far behind. Mm -hmm. And people really don't respect or trust politicians. <laughs> so when you have uh, doctors and medical students taking a stance on, on something, that really normalizes it there's a whole load of respectability that comes um from from fr you know from being this person that has this for better or worse this um societal image where people um trust you and people respect you and to then be slightly disrupting that by speaking out about something like migration or about climate change i think is incredibly powerful and so to a certain extent i would say that there's a duty for healthcare professionals for the rest of our movements to be stepping into that power if we feel comfortable and safe to do so. Um, so yeah, that's that's also yeah. been like interesting to think about. Um, I hate playing into the system in that way, but I feel like that's also partly what we um, need to do to get like the message it, out there. It is coming from like, like you do have to sort of like utilize your own personal like privilege um, in, in terms of like getting things done so for example like at my med school i'm quite happy to be loud about things mm. um but that is also because i am part of a trade union and um i i've been at the same place for about seven years um so i have a, a bunch of good allies who can i guess vouch for me on my behalf so it's, it's sort of like you, you, you kind of weigh up the risks of if I speak out about this thing very openly, what is the potential repercussions for me? Yeah. And am I actually able to deal with it? And then you sort of like make that decision, like, okay, right, I will go ahead and be quite loud about this mm. specific issue because within that this specific context, I have um, a relative amount of privilege in comparison to the rest of the group. Yeah. yeah, I guess this also comes back to speaking about kind of utilising privilege. Mm -hmm. As doctors or medical students, we do have this privilege of being able to share in our pa patients' experiences and stuff, which I guess is why it's really important that we advocate for our patients because we do have the space and the privilege to be able mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think... I. I remember when I started working as a junior doctor and just feeling like so low in like the pecking order of the <laughs> hospital hierarchy. And yet I still have more power and I'm listened to more than most of my patients in that hierarchy. And I think it's also our duty and our role to be advocates for our patients, 
within that scenario remember remembering that like even at those times where you think like oh I've been given this terrible rotor and like nobody's listening <laughs> listening to me I think it's also important to consider um yeah how how you can recognize that and step into your in, into your power to be of service to to the people that you're working with So you know how um, like doctors who go on to um, doctors who are exiled and then they sit outside, um, like potentially co- um, causing civil disobedience. Do you think um, there's something that would concern doctors or medical students and kind of um, uh, put them off from doing it actively? Yeah, for sure. So I firstly just to acknowledge that um, arrest and the possibility of arrest is something that I don't think people should necessarily take lightly. Um, and only do it or consider it if it's something that you feel really like strongly about doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, the track record that we have so far is that of the, I think at last count, I mean, it's definitely over 30, but um, I don't know where we're at at the moment, mm-hmm. um, of the doctors that have been arrested for taking climate action, um, none of them have lost their licences mm-hmm. and they've been given like a sort of, warning yeah a slight like are you sure that you really want to be doing this warning from the GMC Mm. but the thing that's really acted in our favor around that is that um, Richard Horton who's the chief editor of the Lancet Mm. um, and the British Medical Journal have both uh, published and spoken quite extensively Mm. about doctors taking action on the climate and have also had a part to play in normalizing that form of action And so I think that as long as the actions that you take are not violent Mm -hmm. and not fraudulent, um, I think that there's a strong, you know, possibility that you are still able to practice as a doctor. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it also just depends on that balance of where do you think you best fit within the ecosystem and what feels comfortable and safe um, for you to do. And to reiterate, again, I've been an activist for, I don't know, over a decade um, I've been involved in lots of actions where other people have been arrested I've never mm. been arrested I don't feel um, comfortable or safe to do that at this moment in time mm. that might change for me at some point but um, to reiterate that that doesn't um, you know that's not a prerequisite and I don't think that there's like a hierarchy of activists where like you're a better activist mm. if that's what you choose yeah. to do because all of the roles are incredibly important and just actually returning to what Amit said um in the recording. Another um, part of activism that's incredibly important and that we really need to take care around is ensuring that our work is uh, joyful and regenerative because it can be really difficult and tiring taking on the weight of the world (laughs) on your shoulders. (laughs) And I think it's incredibly important that within these spaces we find ways to Um, support each other to Mm. big each other up um, to care for each other um, and to like to also forgive each other and to not place too high expectations Mm. on each other and to also know that we'll all need time off like we also have you know like careers that are really tiring like we have like other commitments we've got like exams there's like all these other things and we can't all be on it all the time Mm. so I think it's also partly trusting that there is an ecosystem of other people who will be stepping in as you step out for a bit 
and supporting you sometimes and you're mm. supporting them sometimes. So just finding those communities and those spaces which are going to be restorative and nurturing um, alongside the work that you're doing. Yeah, I'm feeling very inspired and motivated to maybe start a group or join like a society when I go back to uni <laughs> next academic year. Um, yeah, and I noticed that Carriday, you need to catch your train a bit. So um, just um, to, as we're kind of close to the end of this episode, is there anything that you would like to add or anyone would you like to give a shout out to? So I've got a list of uh, med student activists mm-hmm. that I would like to give a shout out to you. <laughs> And Kato, you are actually on that list. Oh, yes. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so at the beginning, you said you weren't sure if you're an activist. Well, everyone else thinks that you're an activist. Yeah, yeah but I, 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 it's a weird one. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I find the title, like, weird, I don't know, scary a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess there's pressure on it, right? Yeah, like, there, there, there's this added pressure that you... That if anything happens in the world, then then people are looking to you to speak about. It's mm. like, but I don't know everything. I I'm just yeah. a baby boy, <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to just like exist and just like um, live mm-hmm. really. Um, and I always so I'm always so I'm always a bit concerned when um, I guess especially like black people are like put on a pedestal in the media for like activism work or mm-hmm. anything. Because it just sort of like opens you up to um, yeah, sort of potential. like potential like repercussions. Mm-hmm. So like people I'm th- I'm thinking of like there's um, this guy um, who does who's been doing a lot of stuff on social housing. He's not a medical mm-hmm. student. So his name's Squadro, um, and he's been visiting like all these different council estates and sort of like filming what's going on and bringing the housing um, associations to task mm. and when it first started happening I was like oh my god is Quadro okay I literally messaged him because we were like Twitter we've been Twitter meetings for, for a wee while <laughs> so I was like are you okay Quadro like is everything fine and everything but like he, thankfully he's fine but like my first instinct was I hope nothing wrong happens mm. or I hope he doesn't make any sort of mistake because if he makes any sort of, sort of mistake or misstep then it could be quite serious. Another person mm. who's I, who's another one of my baby boys um, is Malone Quende. Mm. Yeah, um, I was going to shout out yeah. as well. And he's just like such a lovely person. I've never actually met him in person mm. before. We're just like, in, we've just been internet friends for like a few years. But yeah, I'm, I'm just always like, are you okay? You're doing all this stuff on black and brown skin. Mm. And yeah, I'm, I'm always just a bit like about um about i guess getting the activism mm. title but i guess yeah i'm 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 going to rest in the title i guess <laughs> and i'm like yeah i i'm i'm an activist yeah well, deal with it <laughs> well, you're someone who sees injustice and then also has a voice around it yeah, yeah like i i i do i i am very aware of um my platforms like i i do, I'm, I'm involved in many different things mm-hmm. and, I, and I I do know that people listen to me so <laughs> that's what you can be proud like of they are now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> meta oh my god <laughs> sorry yeah. Yeah. this is a podcast yeah. <laughs> I forgot yeah. <laughs> I was just <laughs> but I listen I just meant like oh when I say something or write something people are like looking at it but like yeah, lis- yeah. literally listening <laughs> right okay yeah mm-hmm. Um, there's a few other people I'd love to, mm. to shout out to you. Um, one is Michaela Loach, who's doing incredible yeah. work. 
um, in the climate space and worth listening to her podcast, The Ike's Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of people who've been mentioned before, Rhiannon Osborne and Amit Singh, also doing amazing climate work, and Marina Politis as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. yeah. And there's a few different groups, um, which I, gu- I guess is sort of work worth looking into. Um, Health for Green New Deal, who's working with MEDACT, um, and that's all around climate justice and bringing in a Green New Deal. Students for Global Health, and I think that that's probably quite an accessible entry point as mm. Students for Global Health societies in many different med schools around the UK. Um, doctors for Extinction Rebellion, it's not just doctors, it's all different healthcare professionals and medical students. Um, and also Docs Not Cops, which is uh, working to dismantle the hostile environment for migrants uh, within healthcare and beyond. Yeah, thank you for that list of resources. I'll also put those in the show notes so that people can refer to if they want to find an organisation to get involved in. And that's all we have time for today. If you would like to hear other episodes, please subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts and in two weeks' time you'll be notified of our next episode. While you wait for the next one, do check us out on social media. We are BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag Sharp Scratch. I'd love to hear your ideas for what we should cover later in the season. It's also really helpful to us if you can leave a rating and a review on wherever you get your podcasts as it helps other med students to find the show. Until then, it's goodbye from us. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.